Well, this morning I have for you a warning and an admonition. If the warning offends you, the admonition will probably not benefit you. So with that in mind, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity to again look into your word. And Lord, we are treading in very blessed but also very dangerous territory. We need your help and we pray for your Holy Spirit to not only work in the speaker that what is said might be according to your word, it might be uh, driven by your spirit, presented to your glory, that what is heard might be received with a humble acknowledgement of the authority of your word and your spirit. Lord, it is impossible for one man, even many men, to accomplish what your spirit can do in the course of just a short season in your word this morning. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Pray you might guard this time from error, from opinion, from the philosophies of this world, that it might be your word, by your spirit, for your people. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Pastor called me some months ago, and I did return his call immediately, (laughs) that might explain why Pastor Booz and I never get together. All right. Um, I was kind of taken back, because I knew it wasn't the 25th anniversary of the church, it was of the building, but the church, of course, is coming up on its 30th very soon, and uh, so I began studying pretty earnestly, and uh, not just into uh, some of the history, but also into, of course, God's Word. And I began to search through the pages of Scripture regarding buildings, and uh, particularly in the New Testament, but also in the Old. And, of course, the building that always comes to our mind when we think about the Scriptures is the temple, which, of course, is not in the Christian era. We're talking about the temple built for Israel to the worship of our God, in that time, in that place. As I go back to the beginning of that encounter, we find as David says, I want to build a house for the Lord, because I live in a house of cedar paneling. And the the Lord is in a tent, a tabernacle. Of course, God comes to him and says, no, David, you're not going to do that. And did I even ask you to do that? You're not the one to do it. But you have a right heart, and your son will do it. And I'll establish your house. And so the temple was built, and it was that temple that became a snare to Israel. The place where God's glory resided soon became a place for religious activity with no heart for God. For while they came to the temple on the prescribed days, they were off in the hillsides worshiping Baals and Ashtoreth poles throughout the week. 
And Jeremiah the prophet approached them as Israel had already gone into captivity and, and now the Babylonians were threatening Jerusalem. He pronounced to his people, repent. Why? We have the temple. We cannot ever fall as long as we have the house of God on our holy hill. We're secure because of this building. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, God tells Jeremiah, go and tell them, I'm going to destroy this temple that you trust in. Because you're not trusting in me, you're trusting in the building. And it became a snare for them to be disobedient. And then as we see it being rebuilt, and we could spend a lot of time, and that would be the normal thing, but you know I'm not a normal pastor. Well, some of you know I'm not a normal pastor. I don't have very many normal sermons. Um, we would talk about the rebuilding and how wonderful that was under Zerubbabel when the foundation was laid and then the walls under Nehemiah and we might consider how wonderful it was to see it rebuilt and the dedication, rededication of it really uh, under the Maccabees which we celebrate, coming up on the celebrating here in Hanukkah. And we look at the tremendous improvements that were done under Herod to the Temple Mount, to the beautification and the expansion of it. And I'm reminded of Jesus walking through that temple, that temple that where the Son of God met with his people. But he also declared, you've turned my house into a den of thieves and scourge it not once to empty it, but twice. We also find That as he walked through there towards the end of his ministry and his disciples said, take a look at these stones that Jesus Christ said. You look at these stones and you wonder. The day was coming soon when there will not be one upon another. And so it remains to this day. Do not put your trust in temples built with human hands. And I have to ask myself, what happened that we went from seeking to bring glory to the God in the construction of a place of worship to having God's wrath be turned against us to the point that he doesn't want his name spoken even on that hill because of the disobedience of his people. And so here we are celebrating a building being completed 25 years ago, which I am learning isn't that long. 25 years ago, that was a long time. I was pretty sure I wouldn't be here by then. How do we sustain it? And what can we learn from these when God removed his glory from them? And I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to begin there. It's not my main text, but I want to begin there in Hebrews chapter 6. I actually have about five passages that I want to get to. And if I spend a lot of time reading God's words, because it's more important than anything I have to say. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'm sorry, did I say 6? That's the next one. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider 
the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. See, I told you 25 years wasn't very long. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Tucked in these handful of verses, of course, and Hebrews is full of warning passages, so you should have assumed I was going to go to Hebrews, so I told you there was a warning involved. Is this wonderful declaration that we are the house of the Lord. And I do not mean these, this building, this structure at all. For as I go through the pages of, of the New Testament, we find that in the passage Pastor read earlier, they met in house to house, as well as in the temple courtyard and Solomon's porch particularly. And then through persecution, were scattered throughout and met going from house to house, and they had no houses of worship. They met in people's homes and upper rooms, sometimes by riversides in Philippi. Which, by the way, there now, there's a very ornate Greek Orthodox church building. But you can still go by the riverside. Where Paul met with Lydia, the seller of purple. We don't see a house in terms of a physical structure. Rather, we find a consistent teaching that we are the temple of the living God. It says, we are his house. Not once, but twice, he tells us here in verse 6, but Christ is son over his own house, whose house we are, if. This must be in the primary of our thinking, if we are going to sustain any body of saints. To keep us from moving into the sphere of rebellion and of hard-heartedness, into the condition that the writer of Hebrews is concerned about, the hardening of your hearts is in the rebellion, the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. How do we keep from, going, from making 25 the last anniversary? Or 30 next year, the last anniversary. How do we keep that? How do we sustain this? We have this warning. And it goes back to really the first verse of this passage. It says we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. 
He alone is faithful. And so while we have an example of faithfulness in Moses, we recognize that Moses' faithfulness um, was (laughs) extraordinary, but inferior to Jesus' faithfulness. We have one more faithful than Moses. That we are to focus our attention upon, and that is how we establish ourselves as the house of God. I find it interesting, in verse 4, every house is built by someone. <laughs> and of course, the reference here really isn't so much to a structure, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but more to the, the people of God, the, the body, even as Moses was leading the people of Israel um, out of Egypt without a house, with very little belongings. There was no tabernacle built yet, but yet he was faithful in all his house. Who receives the glory is the question. Does the house receive the glory? Does the one who built the house receive more or less glory? Or is it God that should receive our glory? There are many builders and contractors who glory in the fact that they can drive around a community and say, I built that house, I built that house, I built that house. And they glory in the structures that were put up. Um, God says the glory, there is glory in a house. There is more in the one who built it. But there is ultimate glory in God. For no contractor, no architect, no designer, no builder can do anything without God. For he is our strength, he is our sustenance, he is the one that provides all things. And so we are dependent upon him. And maintaining that dependence is the responsibility of God's people. We cherish independence in this country. We even have a day of the year called Independence Day. God cherishes complete dependence upon himself. That we would depend upon him for all things. This building is a building. It is, we call it a facility. The word facility, maybe you haven't recognized lately, it is to make something easy. The purpose of the structure is to make something easy, or at least easier. And it is unfortunate that we've come to call these buildings churches because the churches um, aren't a structure. They're really the people um, of God that inhabit them. It's kind of like calling my house the Wesselinks. You would never go and say, that's the Wesselinks. Well, it's not. It's a house in which the Wesselinks reside. But yet we have on all of our signs, including my church, uh, such and such church. And we forget sometimes that this is really just a facility. What is it facilitating? What is it that we're trying to make easy? Well, we're not trying to make easy the idea in your mind that somehow just by being here, you are right with God. Because that's not the case. If that were the case, Israel was right to say to Jeremiah, God can't destroy this place because we are his people called by his name, Israel. And we are here at the Temple Mount, a building built for his name. And certainly we are completely secure because we have these boxes checked in our life. And God says, no, you're not. Because when you leave this place, your heart isn't with me. And in fact, your heart really isn't with me even in this place. So what are we facilitating? We're supposed to be facilitating corporate worship, which requires something of every one of you that this building can never facilitate. 
That is that you come here having personally worshipped the Lord for the last six days. Turn with me to Ephesians. My church just fainted over there because I left a passage without an hour in it. Wake up. Ephesians. You guys know I normally preach verse by verse as Pastor does here. And um, I'm currently going through the Gospel of John, which is the very first book I preached at this church. Did I say at? Two, sorry. It might have been at a few times, but. Why am I going through the Gospel of John now? After 30 years, it took me that long to preach everything else. 29 years, I got through all 66 books. Hebrews twice, Revelation twice, and now Gospel of John. Back to the beginning. Ephesians chapter 2, you're there? I've tried to spend a little time. Verse 19, therefore... Or sorry, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit." He is not referring to a building. The Ephesians, as far as we know at this point, had no structure that was set aside. In fact, that would have been a very dangerous thing to have uh, in this time period. Uh, It would have easily identified you, and I doubt you would have gotten much farther than foundation without being destroyed as a people of God. So he's not referring to a structure. He's referring to the people that you, fellow citizens, saints, members of the household of God, are being built on a foundation. The foundation of the apostles, prophets, that which we have recorded for us in God's word, this is, our, one of our, this is our foundation, he says. This is the foundation of our faith. For there we discover Jesus Christ, we discover the plan of God, we uh, understand that without the hearing of the word, that men's faith wanders aimlessly. Yes, that's in Romans. Pastor's already preached that to you, I'm pretty sure. If he's that far away, he's already starting to think about his next one. So he's got to be late in Romans, right? Okay. So he's already told you about Romans chapter 10. That faith comes by the hearing of the word. And it is our responsibility to make sure the word is heard. Well, is that easy? Does this facility make it easier to do that? Well, among Christians, yes, but not to the unbeliever. The unbeliever is intimidated by a church. So where do we reach them? In your home. In your life. In your place of work. In your neighborhood. In your school. That's where we're going to reach the lost. Just as this building isn't the church, neither is this building going to facilitate our outreach because it's not really the mechanism. What the mechanism is you. You are the ones. When we walk in righteousness, remember all those ifs in, in In Hebrews, if we are steadfast, if we walk in the Spirit as He is, and we have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. How is it that we can minister the Word when it's difficult to get them come in the building? I can't tell you how many times someone has come and says, walked in the building, well, Pastor, the building didn't fall down on me. 
that's not coming from a complete heathen. That's coming from someone who might be a family member of someone here who came in for a wedding or a funeral or something like that. Intimidated by church. So evangelism happens because we go out and we want to see the building built together. We want to see one another edified. And Ephesians later on in, in chapter 5 and 6 is going to talk about the edification of the saints. Chapter 4 uh, about building up. What does it mean to be built up? To be strengthened. Edified is the word we use. But to be built. Will this facility facilitate that? Again, they had none back then. So we are called upon to something different. That we are the habitation of God in the Spirit. I have a question for you. It's a very simple one. It's a yes or no question. I I think I know the answer, but I want to share it with you. If I began this sermon by having some dancers and uh, comedians up here and using profanity and being immodest, how many of you would be really upset that we desecrated this building that way? And rightly, you should be. I would concur. Um, I would be one of the first ones to jump out of my seat and do something about it, Um, and hopefully I'd have a lot of company. Because you're concerned about desecrating this room, let me share something what's going to happen to this room one day. It will burn in fervent fire with everything else. Let me share you what might happen even before that. One of the most magnificent structures of its day built in Constantinople is St. Sophia's Basilica. I had the privilege of visiting there. It's now modern-day Istanbul. But something happened to St. Peter's Basilica, wonderful dome structure, one of the largest of its kind um, in its, when it was built. Um, tall, it was just beautiful artwork inside. It was extraordinary. But then, of course, Constantinople was overthrown by the Muslims. And the basilica became a mosque. And, and you go in, and, it's, and everything had to be shifted. And so here's this beautiful structure, and, and the whole worship area had to be shifted. Why? Because the, wor- the, the Muslims worship facing Mecca. And the basilica wasn't set up to face Mecca, was it? Because it was built for the name of God. The one true and living God, Jehovah. And so when the Muslims came and and took over the basilica until the blue mosque was built just across town a little bit, they had to be a little bit higher than St. Sophia's. Because the building mattered to them. This was shifted and was still evident in there and they plastered over all of the beautiful artwork and everything um, and and imposed upon it rather a Muslim symbolage. And this wonderful, glorious structure became place of worship of another god you see you cannot trust in it as i shared earlier um, it has been my unfortunate experience in 30 years to see some of the very churches that were a very important part of the establishment of this church no longer exist and so the call of faithfulness is an important one but not faithfulness to a building, not faithfulness to an endeavor, but faithfulness to a God, to his glory, whose building you are. 
Now, I asked you about desecrating this building, and you were very upset that what if I brought in, um, you know, made it into a bar or something like that? You know, oh, that would be horrible. Um, but let's transfer our thinking now. You are the temple of the living God. What are you doing to his temple tomorrow? This afternoon? Is it modesty? Is cursing the name that you trust in for salvation going to be part of your experience? Is it going to be part of your experience to, if I came in here and turned on the country radio station, you would say, this isn't church, this isn't worship. And I would say, then why is it with you any other time? You are the temple of the living God. You are his house. Not this. You would be offended at those kinds of things being done inside this room. But inside this room, the heart, you allow, we allow these things. And this is the unfaithfulness that makes temples fall. That brings God's wrath upon his people. They say, you trust in this building? Foolish ones. I don't want your offerings. I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. Oh, that we would turn our lives over to God, that we would serve him every day, not just in this one area, that this is a worship room, but that this in my heart is a worship place. And that I want to stop my ears and block my eyes. I want to do as David says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes, O Lord. Oh, that that would be our calling. That we would be incensed. There was a day, by the way. I remember it. I'm old enough now to remember it. Those days. I remember when I was a young person, preachers get up and says, back in the day. And I was like, well, now I'm old, and now I'm saying, back in the day. I remember that you weren't supposed to use certain language among women and children, even if you were a sailor. And gentlemen would correct somebody, said, don't use that language with my family. Now we have the children using that language in those homes. What happened? Well, you have an idol in your house. Just like Israel had their idols in their house. It says the women established those idols in their houses in Israel's day. Um, And that idol brings all the world into your home, into your life, into your mind, into your eyes, and your ears. And we serve and worship that rather than God. An image of an evil thing. And this is what destroys buildings built in God's name is when the people are unfaithful in their hearts. Go with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I am flying. I I apologize to you for going so quickly, because you're getting ripped off. By the way, pastor said this service might go two and a half hours. No, no, I think it was an hour and a half, he said. Okay, I got ten minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 6. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a master, wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. 
For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it. There is a day of accounting that will declare whether you have built wisely your house, your temple to God. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God? You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's in Ephesians 6. I haven't gotten there. I, I'm, I'm not done reading, by the way. Here we go. Where did I leave off? Do anyone remember? The day. Verse 14. If anyone works which, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells if you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Do you think this ground is sacred? I tell you it is not. It is just ground. I watched the people pour this concrete, and they weren't any holier than any other construction crew I'd ever seen. And I'm pretty sure that the place they got is the same quarry and the same mixing thing that they used to build every other little place around this town. And we could go all the way up to the very top. End of the parking lot. There's nothing holy here in this building. It is what is being built here in the hearts that is of concern. So what are we facilitating? We're supposed to be facilitating righteousness, holiness. We're supposed to, the reason this place exists is to help us help one another It's to make it easier to help one another become holy. Think about that for a minute. The best use of this space, the main purpose of its construction, is to help you, to make it easy for you to become holy. Because here you can meet with other people who are supposed to have that exact same objective. I want to be holy as he is holy. I want to build this house on holiness, wisdom, and truth. This is the foundation. It is Jesus Christ who receives the glory. It is him that we preach for the saints to be strengthened and built up. And then once strengthened and built up in a holy nation, a priesthood to God, we go forth from this place to reach the lost. And shame on you if you leave this place and the first thing that happens is the tie comes off, the soup gets thrown, and the radio gets cranked and you look and sound and dress and speak and act just like the world. You have failed and your place is ready to be destroyed by an angry God. It happened before. It is happening today. Did I destroy everything here? I am a perfectionist, so I don't like preaching with things flying around. Are you holy? You are the temple of God. The temple of God should be holy. If you defile it, God will destroy you. He did it to his own house. If he did it to Solomon's temple, do you not think he will do it to yours? So how do we sustain 
ministry. Oh, it's not by putting a coat of paint on every now and then. That's important, I guess, to someone. Um, But we don't need more paint. And it's important to keep your building clean, and it looks nice. And I'm glad the chairs have lasted 25 years. Um, They were expensive. It's one of the things I splurged on. By the way, they'll burn in fervent heat, too. It is by pressing one another to righteousness. That we sharpen one another to be holy as he is holy. This is the faithfulness that will build a house. Finally, turn with me to 1 Peter. Chapter 2. And again, I'm going to read a lengthy portion of scripture, but um, please listen carefully and follow along if you are able. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have Obtain mercy, beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that whenever they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or the governors, or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as servants of God. This is how we build the church. Not with a hammer, not with a nail gun, not with a a saw, not with the, the crude instruments of construction. We build it with the word of God and the power and the testimony of Jesus Christ with, a, with the benefit and the help of one another, of prophets and teachers and, and pastors. And, and we, we put these together and we grow. One sure stone upon another. I love the concept of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone and many have used this. I'm getting stabbed just a minute. I shouldn't have taken done that with my thing. I'll probably still get stabbed, but we'll try. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And that's a very unusual phrase to use. We often talk about cornerstones being down here, telling the date it was built and all that. We don't have one of those because we, 
not a rock building. Um, it's just wood, and it'll burn quickly, okay, um, in the day. But that's not what's really being communicated. The foundation was, remember, in that passage was the prophets, the law and the prophets, the scriptures, the word of God was the foundation. Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone, the rock the builders kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting. Why were the builders rejecting the stone? Because it had no place to go. It had no place in the structure until it was at its pinnacle, its completion. A man named Darby back about 120 years ago identified it as the top stone of a pyramid that doesn't fit anywhere else in the building. You wouldn't use it anywhere. It's the fifth corner. The four corners are interchangeable. We have a foundation. We have a square building. But here the chief cornerstone, and in Darby's mind, the cornerstone is the capstone, the last one. And it is the pinnacle. And all this we do to God's glory, that he be the pinnacle. Because there's a glory of the house. There's a glory of the builder. But ultimately it's the glory of God that we do all of this. And so I'm seeking to be holy, not that I can be self-righteous, but that I can bring glory to God by being a testimony to the lost. That as they see these good works in me, that they recognize there's a difference, and I am tired, I am weary of Christians trying not to be different. I went to the conference this Summer, and one of the things I learned is you're not supposed to wear a suit anymore to preach. In fact, you're not even supposed to tuck in your shirt anymore to preach. Yeah, (laughs) you're in New Mexico, you're way behind. (laughs) Catch up to California, let's go, people. Um, Ohio's already there in Iowa. Because we want to look like the world. We want to sound like them, we want to be attractive to the world because we have a wrong understanding. We think these buildings and these services and this apparel is what's going to draw people to Jesus Christ. It is not your holiness will when you are different. And they can see, oh, and they can see it. When they see that you're different. What will sustain the work of God is not all this. It is the people of God desiring to be holy as he is holy and spurring one another on to love and the good deeds of walking out these doors and saying, I will stand for Jesus Christ. I will be faithful to his house. I will seek his glory in all that I do. I will not desecrate this temple of the living God. Again and again, I've tried to give you from multiple pastors because I only have this one chance And in two minutes, it's noon, and you know what happens then. (laughs) From all these passages, this is not just a single pulled-out-of-context verse. I've tried to read the entire context of each of these, and they are extensive, and I could go on and on and on. Do you get the picture? Do not in any way conceive that this building is holiness to the Lord when those inside of it are not. So the challenge is that we make one another holy. We do that through rebuke. 
this is in the Bible, Timothy, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works, that we are built up to unity in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what this building facilitates. Do not confuse what this is. If you think this building somehow gets you closer to God, you are wrong. A walk in the Spirit according to God's Word is what God desires. Now, having preached all of this, you might say, Pastor Kirk, I know you've built some buildings. Some of you know I have. Not only this one, but others. Desert Hills as well. I've had the privilege of going to Haiti and participating in the building of that church, funded by our church. They funded another one. I said, just build it yourselves. I could, you know how. Our church has most recently been involved in Rwanda and in the Philippines and in India, building church buildings. Why? To facilitate, to make it easier for them to spur one another on to love and good deeds so that they can leave those places and reach the lost around them. Our brother in Rwanda, if they had substandard buildings a year ago, a year and a half ago now, or I guess two years, January, we're told by the government any substandard building, and here's the new standards, will be closed immediately. You're not even allowed to meet in your homes. No meetings whatsoever unless you are in a building that comes up to our standards. Every one of our fellowshipping churches in Rwanda closed immediately. And we're unable to meet, unable to meet together. This has been going on for two years. So we have about 40 churches in that fellowship, and we got, I heard of this early on because of my connections with the International Partnership of Fundamental Baptist Ministries and my work in Haiti and some other things, and they were like, I was like, is the church going to survive this? I want you to know something. The church is surviving it just fine, but it's hard. If I took away this building, would you still serve the Lord with gladness? Would you still be meeting together by a river bank, in a forest, at pastor's house? No. How about your house? So our brother in Rwanda have a lot of buildings, but they're not up to specs, so they can't meet in them. So we're starting that process. We took the first one. We said, we'll take one. Our little church, how much does it cost to get up to standards? It was like 10 million, whatever it was, in Rwanda, which was $5,000. That seemed easy enough. And again and again and again. To facilitate God's people, to encourage one another to be holy. So I'm not against buildings. I'm against trusting in them. And associating them with a proper walk with God. And so there are church buildings throughout this land that aren't holy to the Lord. Because what's in them isn't. What is being spoken, this is not, no longer the foundation of it much psychology is. I'll talk to your granddaughter later. 
Oh, that we would spend time in this word. Do not. Brethren, please. I beg you. Because the Bible begs you. Do not desecrate the temple of God, which you are, each one. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, you have of God. Or he will destroy you, because you will be of no use to him. They should be able to see your good works and glorify God. They'll hate you. They'll oppose you. But the gospel will go forth, and God will be glorified. Let's pray. Well, God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and its warning and its admonition. Lord, we, we wonder and marvel and stand in awe that you would inhabit this place, the, the, these bodies, these hearts. And we acknowledge that we are not so unlike Israel and that we will wander off and seek after this God and that God. And Lord, forgive us for thinking that buildings are churches and that we can trust in them at any point. Lord, our prayer is that we might leave this place committed to being holy as you are holy, that we might not leave this place and seek out holiness even yet more today through repentance, confession, instruction, fellowship. Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness. We do thank you for the history of this body of saints. But we know that that future of this church is conditioned. It carries with it a great if. And Lord, we see from your word what that if is. That we who call ourselves by your name must follow after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we might be faithful as your house, your temple, your building. That we might truly leave here yours, not our own. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.